right now on Higher Journeys with Alexis Brooks. The walk through life is often tough terrain, filled with rocky roads and steep inclines. But if one chooses to open their eyes and their hearts, they will be led to lessons, some small and some offering massive change of direction for the better. For Dylan Charles, editor of WakingTimes.com, an accomplished practitioner of the martial arts and a student of the sacred plant brew known as ayahuasca, his lessons came fast and hard. After barreling down a path of almost certain destruction, Dylan knew he had to make a different choice or face dire consequences. His determination and courage eventually led him to embrace, among other alternative modalities, a journey with what many have called Grandmother, the wise and often tough love teacher known as Ayahuasca. After nearly 100 excursions with Ayahuasca, Dylan has many life lessons to share, and he did so with us. In this powerful episode of Higher Journeys, Dylan gives us an unforgettable collection of cliff notes about this mysterious, though reality-expanding brew that he says is not only critical to understanding the power of the natural world, but that of the self. Like many who have gone down a similar path, Dylan maintains that the spiritual lessons that one is offered each and every time they partake in this sacred ritual are immeasurable and worth their weight in gold. Take a listen. Charles Dylan. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) Right off the bat. Dylan Charles. Listen, we're on the record here. I just said that on the record. I have to tell you guys, journeyers, by the way. Dylan, I told I call my audience the journeyers. They know who they are. Well, like I was that. just saying, yeah, I was just saying to uh, to Dylan, please forgive me if I call you Charles first. Now I don't know if you want to tell the backstory about what your real name is. <laughs> For you, it's Dylan Charles. We're here with the. Dylan Charles, wakingtimes.com, your number one source for all things that cannot be talked about on this venue. Uh, Just so you know. <laughs> Dylan, thank you for joining us. How are you? Yeah. Happy New Year. Is it happy so far for you? Yeah, of course it's happy, man. My life is blessed with love and kids and, yeah, wonderful home and positive disposition and a, like this strength to uh, persevere under these increasingly dire circumstances yeah what's not to be happy about alexis there you go glass half full that's how we love to start the show (laughs) i don't know i don't know if i'm a glass i don't i've never considered myself a glass half full guy but i definitely am not one to shirk away from challenges so i I tend to grow most i tend to i tend to see the best of myself when i'm when i'm faced with adversity so i see that in a lot of other people as well but most people don't catch that and so it's easy to slip into the despondency with what's going on but really this is a great opportunity to to rise up above the whoever it is in you that longs for something different than what you were gifted you know agreed i would call that glass half full okay Okay, well speaking of glasses and things (laughs) being filled with stuff How's that for a mm-hmm. segue? That's what we're going to be talking about today, Jeremy. Well, you probably saw Perfect. it in the YouTube title. We are going to be talking about the one, the only, Ayahuasca. And, Ayahuasca. Uh, you know, Dylan and I had been chatting offline for, I don't know, a couple, three weeks or so. And I just want, because I'm such a fan of wakingtimes.com, I'm like, I got to have this dude on and have a great conversation. Wonder what it'll be about. Just like that, Dylan, it came to me, Ayahuasca. And I'm like, I wonder if he's taken a trip or two. Mm-hmm. Turns out he's taken 
over 50. At least. Is it yeah. true? Closer. It's probably closer to the 100 mark, but it's not like the experiences aren't. Um, you can't really like capture the, the the significance of the experiences by quantifying them. And it's interesting because I know lots of people. I've never done the medicine in the states. I've always done it, you know, in, in proper remote locations in the jungle and and uh, down in Ecuador and stuff. Uh, but uh, but I've noticed here there's a culture around it here, and a lot of people uh, do look at look at journeying that way. Oh, I've done 150 times, you know, 170 times, whatever. Like you really don't need that much much ayahuasca. You don't. Right. I'm, I'm doing it for different reasons, but so it's not about the number of times that you've tripped, you know, mm-hmm. or journey. We'll call it journey because trip we'll call it so journey. Blessing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a journey. I'm sure. Well, I want to say for the record, guys, before we get started, uh, a little bit of a disclaimer. We are not talking about this in the context of medicine, if you will, although it is referred that way, but rather Jill in the spiritual uh, significance mm-hmm. of these and other what are considered sacred plants. You know, this is something that I've been aware of probably ever since uh, I, I, I listened to Graham Hancock talk about his journeys, mm-hmm. his sojourn so many years ago. And I've always been fascinated ever since I should say I've been fascinated with this DMT rich uh, brew. But I want to ask you, I think we should begin at the beginning. And if you could give us somewhat of an abbreviated version as to how you got introduced to this mm-hmm. and why. Can you, can you give us the down low on that? Because everybody has a different entry point. I'd love to hear yours. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a seeker. I've been a seeker for a really long time. I didn't know that for a really long time, and I really screwed up my life because I didn't realize that early enough. And so for, for those of us out there who are like myself, seekers in this world, seeking truth, seeking, you know, seeking an understanding of what really makes yourself tick in this wild, crazy, very complicated, intricate world, um, it's hard for us to find a place, especially if we don't know what we're looking for. And so it's easy for us to fall into patterns of self-sabotaging behavior, addiction. Uh, it's easy for us to get stuck in, you know, trauma, trauma bonds, these sorts of things. So it's easy to, it's easy to end up on the path of self self-destruction. If you don't understand that you're a seeker, if you don't know what you're looking for, if you don't know where to find it. And uh, so I went through my youth. I went through, it was pretty, I'm, I'm going to try to make this quick. Alexis, right? So my youth, there were, there were some dramatic things in there, like divorce and a little bit of like, you know, an abusive brother, that sort of stuff. And some alcohol, I got into alcohol and drugs kind of when I was pretty young and, and just to kind of escape the trauma and the, the, the not knowing of it all when I was young. And so when I finished up high school, I got into, got involved sort of in a drug scene, like a rave scene and started experimenting with other drugs. And next thing you know, I found myself addicted to methamphetamines, uh, pills, uh, cocaine, like all this, all this stuff that you get into as a party person. And I finally, it finally got so bad for me. Alcohol too was a big one. It finally got really so bad for me that I needed help. And so when I finally was uh, ready to admit to myself that I needed help, I went and got help from my doctor and my doctor immediately prescribed me any, any depressants. That was like within the first 10 minutes of the first visit of me ever, you know, seeking help from a professional about the direction my life had taken. And uh, he was like, yeah, pile on these pills, take this Geodon and this uh, Xanax and this and that. And I, t- I took all that stuff and th- I had instant reactions to him. And he was like, oh, don't worry. I'm sending you to a proper psychiatrist next week. One of the best in town. And so I went to visit uh, the following week. I went to visit a psychiatrist and in that visit, in a one-hour visit, it was, he wasn't somebody that I felt comfortable with, but in a one-hour visit, uh, he felt comfortable prescribing me at 26 years old seven different medications to take every day. So there were a couple of shades of antidepressants. There were uh, like sleeping pills, awakening pills, uh, uh, anxiety pills. I mean, it was a whole basket of pills to take every day. 
and I asked him how long I was supposed to take these pills. And he basically said forever. And I'm like, oh, cool. He just gave me a live sentence to pharmaceutical dependency, which includes all of the side effects, which includes all of the, the, the numbing of your soul, all of the, the, the down pressing of your consciousness and everything that those, the psychotropic medications, um, um, induce in people. And so when I was leaving his doctor's office, uh, I just got this call from spirit. You know, this, this voice came to me and was like, dude, this is not the way to go. It's not the way to heal yourself. This isn't healing. This is more dangerous than the stuff that you've been through. And so I, I was very, I was called at that moment to throw all the pills in the trash, which I did. And a week later I stepped into a Kung Fu dojo and started practicing Kung Fu. Within three weeks, I was like the depression was gone. The anxiety was cleared up. I was starting to, you know, meet my tribe, if you will. And my whole disposition changed in just a few weeks. And that's not something that my doctors were willing to talk about. They weren't willing to talk about exercise or, or changing my diet, getting off all the junk food or restaurant food or whatever. So that really started me on the path of personal development, self-actualization. And it's one of those things that uh, perhaps, perhaps someone out there listening has experienced. But once you once you commit to yourself, once you decide to take responsibility for your life, right? It doesn't mean that you have to do it alone. It doesn't mean that you have to have all the answers already in your pocket. But what it means is that you, it's like a communique goes out to the universe and you say, you say, all right, I'm willing to take responsibility for it. What's my reward for, for stepping up to the plate? And the reward is always the same, you know, and Carl Jung called it synchronicity, right? Like it's, they say when one door closes, another door opens, that's really what it is. Like when you when you commit to to walking your path, to finding your path, your path of self mastery, then like all the things that are supposed to happen happen. And so in that journey, like like that led me quickly to um, you know kung fu. I was I was working on kung fu, but that led me quickly to tai chi, which really helped to calm my mind down. It took me a really long time of practicing tai chi before I could really relax and slow down my mind. You know, I had been previously diagnosed with ADHD and ADD, which is you know those are. Those are conditions, right? They're not, they're not diseases. There's, there's nothing uh, chemically that they can explain that there's nothing that they can prove chemically that, that would explain why you think a certain way. Um, but I had, I had those diagnoses under my belt. And so I am um, <clears throat> having just the, uh, like having the willingness to take responsibility for myself um, really just opened up all of the synchronistic doors in my life. So that included, like I said, Tai Chi, which helped me to cure my mind, uh, Qigong, which really started to help me to cure my body and really start to understand how the energy system within my own body works. And along that path, like it was every book that I needed, every author that I needed to read, every quote that I needed to hear, every idea that I needed to, uh, uh, to consume, right? They all just appeared in my lap and opportunities opened themselves to me. So within just a couple of short years after that, I found myself, not found myself, but we created a situation, my wife and I, where we moved down to Costa Rica. So we were living in Costa Rica. And, and within the first few months there, I got a, a message from an old friend that mentioned something about ayahuasca. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea. But as soon as he mentioned it, what year was this? This would have been 2009, 2009, 2010, 2010, when I first heard of ayahuasca. So it was one of those synchronistic things where I had, uh, when I moved down there, I had a bunch of books with me. One of those books was called The Cosmic Serpent by an anthropologist named Jeremy Narvi. It's an excellent book. What he does in that book is he's basically looking at cave art and indigenous art from around the world and noticing some similarities, especially things like uh, the patterning of the double helix, the the, the strands of DNA. He was seeing these, he was seeing these images and, you know, around the same period of time, you know, you're going 10, 12,000, 15,000 years back, you're seeing similar artwork on separate continents. So he was kind of wondering how these same ideas were being communicated across land and time when there was obviously no, none of the, you, know, you didn't have cellular infrastructure back then. 
And so he went down to the jungle to try to the jungle in South America to try to understand, you know, what this perspective was about. And so he went in search of ayahuasca or whatever. But on his way, he found many people who worked with plants who were able to teach him just sort of like the the hierarchy of the plants of the Amazon. Mm-hmm. You know, and in a lot of a lot of cultures down there, tobacco would be considered the mother of the plants, right? And so there's things to be learned from tobacco. Okay, you know, we're not talking about. Uh, the the uh, tobacco uh, that you serve, you know, in Marlboro cigarettes, whatever you're talking about, tobacco rustica, like a, a a fermented type of tobacco down that you'll find in in uh, other parts of the world. And so, what he figured out was that there was a there was a there was a, a concoction that they were making, right? So they were combining two plants out of the jungle. So you're talking about a pharmacopoeia of plants. So there's some places in in the jungle in Ecuador, for example, in the Napo Galeras area, where there's I think there's close to eighty thousand species of plants to be found within just a few square kilometers of each other. I mean, it's it's hmm. biologically diverse. It's incredibly biologically diverse. And so what he learned was what Jeremy Narby learned was that that they had been taught by tobacco which two plants to mix so that they could uh, have the experience of ayahuasca. And so the tradition goes back perhaps thousands of years. No one really knows, but somehow somebody had the idea to cook these two particular plants out of all the possibilities mm-hmm. together. And that gave them an experience, which uh, lift, you know, elevated their souls, allowed them to communicate, you know, through the veil, if you will. And uh, it was a very, very transformative experience that became part of many, many cultures down there. So I heard about it and had the opportunity to do it. I didn't really know what it was before. And I had sort of read some stuff about it in this book and I was like, I'm going. So I went. And so the first time that I went was, uh, just, yeah, right at, yeah, was, I guess 11 years ago at the beginning of 2011, a friend of mine has become a really good friend. He's an ethnobotanist. He has a property in a remote part of Costa Rica on the beach, a full ayahuasca garden with all the admixture plants and everything that you could possibly want. I mean, it's extraordinary. It's beautiful. Um, but I went down there and he was accompanied by two elders from a tribe called the Sequoia. So the Sequoia are a, a small tribe of the upper Amazon. You know, they can be found in the roughly in the area of where Ecuador meets Peru meets uh, Colombia right there. There's a, there's a patch. So they actually have some sacred ancestral lands that are protected by the governments there. So they have, they actually have like an area of the forest there, which is primary untouched rainforest uh, where their cultures have been living and thriving in for who knows how many thousands of years. You know, unfortunately today, I think the, the tribe of the Sequoia's numbers are somewhere under 600 people total, mm. which is, which is, which wow. is quite remarkable. But, but so they're considered to be, I would say the best way to say it is that they're the, the probably the oldest non-syncretic ayahuasca tradition left on the earth. And what that means is that their, their tradition of drinking, their tradition, their perspective on uh, the plant medicine and its use isn't colored by Christianity. It isn't colored by uh, mestizos. It isn't colored, colored by any outside influences. So it's a very original, traditional uh, way of, 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 of preparing the medicine and, and taking ceremony. So it's very, very unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were two elders from this tribe there when I went down to my friend's place. And uh, I went down there for the first time I went down there was a 10-day retreat. And so we put, spent the first three days doing what are what are called renewal ceremonies where we wake up at three o'clock in the morning and we consume large bowls of warm tea. It's basically ayahuasca tea, but it's very watered down. Uh, it's like unprepared ayahuasca tea. And uh, you drink those and it's an emetive. So the, 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 the purpose of it is to vomit, is to let go, is to like clean out your digestive system, clean out your energetic system so that when you do a proper ceremony, you're, you're much more in balance. You're much calmer. You're much more grounded and ready to go. So we did that for three days. And then for the next six days, we did a proper uh, ayahuasca ceremony with the Sequoia elders. 
they call the medicine yahes. There's some traditions that call it yahe. So I'm going to call it yahe from now on because uh, it, it, there are some subtle and not so subtle differences between ayahuasca and yahe. But the tradition of the sequoias, they're considered to be yahe drinkers. In fact, there's a really excellent book about one of my elders' father. It's, the book is called, uh, it's called The Yahe Drinker. You can probably find it on Amazon. But uh, one of my elders, uh, Don Delphine Peaguaje, uh, his father was, I think, Fernando. I, I can't remember his name, but it's in the book, and his whole story is in the book. He was one of like the last true great healers, the you know ayahuasquero healers of the Amazon. And so, even even those alive today who've carried on the tradition are considered to not have his skill and his understanding of like the depths of how to heal with the right. medicine. So, really, right. is kind of a special tradition, special I, tradition. So, I've been part of that for a long time. Okay. Wow. Wow. Oh my God! I was I had to put you on solo so I could take some some copious notes, which I didn't get to do because I didn't want everyone to hear. So, look, I want to go back a little bit, Dylan, because yes, this is intriguing yes. to me. I mean, this whole idea of the discovery of any given thing that turns out to be this elixir uh, that can change and has changed lives—you have to wonder. Now, you were saying perhaps thousands of years ago, this individual went into this very very rich forest and found uh, just felt the need had the epiphany mm -hmm. that he should take tobacco and mix it with this and do something else. And boom, <laughs> here we go. It's not that easy. It, 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 it didn't happen that way. I don't think no. I want to explore the metaphysical aspects of where this messaging comes from, from your perspective, some form of hmm. non-human intelligence, I would dare say tipped him off just to put it colloquially okay. about he was, he was led to do that. Very much like mm -hmm. those who are in a journey of ayahuasca, and I want to hear about yours and the entities that are met and teach. Mm -hmm. What What are your thoughts on how much have you pondered the origins and where the message came from to put this brew together? What do you know about that? What's been discussed? Well, here's here's what I know. Um, I know that different cultures have different origin stories, and this is true of all all of the plants and all of the food. I mean, if you look down in South America, like the different different cultures in there have different stories or myths or legends about where corn came from. You know, where did this corn come that that that's, that's, supplies us with life? That gives us, you know, where did where did the papaya tree come from? Where you know where they so there's origin stories to everything, and those differ from tribe to tribe, from culture to culture, from region to region. So like within the Sequoia tribe, I'd actually have to go back and read, read my teacher's book on it, but he's written a very, 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 very thoughtful, deep book called Rainforest Medicine on the subject of the Sequoia and their traditions. So there is actually a, an origin story there. I believe it involves one of the boa snakes dying, coming down to earth and like his carcass rots in the earth. And then from that, <laughs> you know, from that spot where this uh, mystical creature died for whatever reason, like the actual vines sprung up. And so they, they knew to that there was something special about the vines because of where they were found growing and they'd never seen them before. Jeremy Narby talks about it in terms of, uh, um, you know, when he, when he says that the, uh, the, the people he was talking to, the elders he was working with would say that like the, they would smoke tobacco and tobacco would teach them what they needed to know. So tobacco would say, Hey, go mix this plant and this plant. Right. Okay. So the thing that you have to understand is that here in the West, here in America, where, wherever you're at in the world, like, like our sensitivity has been reduced, right? Like we are not sensitive. We are, we are numb to a lot, right? So you can go down, you can go down to the Amazon and work with uh, proper teachers. Even today, you can do what are called dietas. So you can dieta for different things using different types of plants. And what you find that when you do stuff like that, you know, where you would basically eliminate a whole lot of stuff from your diet, except a, a, a specific prescription of intakes of certain kinds of plants, 
Um, when you do that, you'll find that your your sensitivity to nature increases immensely. Like your ability to to it's it's unreal what happens when you really spend a lot of time in the jungle uh, with the plants. Like your 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 communication system changes dramatically. Okay. It's like it cleans out, it clears out, and so it's easier to understand it if you've been through that. Because once you've been through that, you realize that you it is possible to feel the subtle effects of anything, any plant, any substance, anything. Like there's a subtlety to all of everything that's happening around us, but we're just numb to it. You know, so I've had experiences where um, I've been in the jungle and I've been uh, basically like just touring through the jungle way out hours, like dozens of hours away from anything with, with Sequoia elders and tribe members and walking through the jungle with them. And every few feet, they stop to look at another plant, talk about it, discuss it. And they know every single plant what the plant is good for, if the plant heals you, if it harms you, what animals are attracted to the plant, um, you know, what it's useful for, um, what it can be mixed with, everything. So there's a, there's a level of understanding that comes naturally when you're in that environment and when you're not polluted by all the things that we're polluted with. And I mean, of course, the foods, the chemicals and everything, but also the, the media, the ideas, the culture. You know, sure. Terrence, McKenna, Terrence McKenna is famous for saying culture is not your friend. You know, and, and there's a reason for that. Culture closes you down to, to a perceived set of possibilities, right? It's, you're limited to what the culture says is possible. So I think that, like, the, the stories for me, like, after, after spending so much time in the jungle and visiting South America and whatnot, like, to me, it's, 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 it makes sense that you would be able to see and sense and feel your way through this. Like, there's a communication process between nature and, and human beings that happens, and we've been very, very, like, disconnected from that. No so about it. Yeah. my 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 take on it really is that is that ayahuasca represents um, a feminine spirit of the earth, Gaia, right? Uh, um, Tierra Maja, Pachamama, right? Like it, there is a there is a definite spirit, like a representation, like a a being that we live on, that we walk on, right? And 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 I've been very very close to this being, and I think that I think that really what that's how that's how she communicates with you. It's a very it definitely feels like a very feminine, old, grandmotherly spirit. And so that's why you'll hear a lot of people talk about this medicine as grandmother medicine, right? Yes, that's right. To give you just a little bit of contrast, I'm also a part of a tradition of, of African medicine called iboga, right? So this is from the rainforest of Africa. It's, a, it's the it's the root bark of a little shrub that lives in the, in the rainforest, right? And so their origin story is a little different. Like they actually say that, you know, that they – there's a whole story around that as well, but like they'll tell you that the, the medicine was discovered or the uh, aboga was discovered when one of the hunters went out in the forest, you know, all day hunting and, and checked one of his traps and uh, he was tired from a long day and there was a porcupine in the trap. And so um, he took the porcupine home, gave it to his wife, told her to cook it and drank some palm wine and crashed out drunk to sleep. She ate the porcupine and by herself she cooked it and ate it by herself and then she went into a deep visionary journey all night and the next day she was like holy smokes something happened and so she told her husband the husband takes that information to the chief they talk about it with the chief and the chief says well that's really interesting you know where did you find this where did you find this porcupine so they go back to the place where they found the porcupine and sure enough there's some uh, you know tabernanthe boca shrubs right there and so mm -hmm. they gather some of that stuff and of course the chief is like all right woman you take this again you know he's afraid of it and so she takes it again and same things happen she goes on a deep visionary journey that allows her to see the origins of life it allows her to see like like the meaning of her own life right her ancestral lineage it allows her to like visit 
to go back in time and really understand like uh, uh, her whole purpose in the world and her, her whole purpose in her tribe and her whole purpose of being. And so that's really how like, like that's how they'll tell you like the, the Buiti from Gabon will tell you like that's how they supposedly discovered the medicine. But that's also that's an oral tradition. So there's no there's nothing written down. So especially with that boga and ayahuasca, there's nothing there's nothing that's been written down or gathered. So you're dealing with oral traditions that of course change over time and stuff. So in a sense, none of that really matters. What matters is is your ability to open up to the connection of it all mm-hmm. that it offers. Agreed. Right. And I've seen many, many people go into ceremonies and and not allow themselves to let go of whatever they're holding on to, not allow themselves to sense, to, to really like experience that deep connection. If you're enjoying this episode, along with all of the subjects that we cover here on Higher Journeys, then I invite you to join our members only community on Patreon, where we go even deeper into the conversations with the guests that you know and love. Not only does your membership ensure that we can keep this work going and growing, but you'll also get immediate access to our exclusive after shows. Get up close and personal with the guests of the show, along with many other member perks. So click on the link below to join now or visit higherjourneys.com where you'll find the Patreon link. We'll see you on the journey. Thanks. So so that's a contingency for when you're doing this to, to be willing. It's just like going under hypnosis, I suppose. You, some people refuse to be uh, hypnotized because they're not able to let go and allow themselves to... Uh, to to literally resonate with with that which they're experiencing, I, I'm going to stop you right there. I got to mm-hmm. pause in. You know, I'm yeah. I'm talking to an interviewer, right? So we're both <laughs> kind of on the <laughs> get your game, before, have your game on. <laughs> before I lose this train of thought again, as I'm listening, and you're doing a brilliant job, uh, Dylan. Thank you so much for really giving us good context for what this is and its magnitude. It reminds me of two ideas I'd like to flesh out with you a little bit, and that has to do with you. Have you heard the term panpsychism? Panpsychism is essentially a, a this notion on the relatively new on the part of some even materialist scientists that feel that all things animate or inanimate have a measure of individuated consciousness. And, you know, of course, we know that the plant world is alive. The question is how intelligent? Well, panpsychism would say there is a measure of individuated consciousness, but let that, let, let's follow with the work of Cleve, the late Cleve Baxter and the intelligence of plants and that famous, mm-hmm. though crude and somewhat mean experiment he did with the uh, EKG uh, when he was thinking of burning this plant, the plant responded before the thought was, before the thing was even carried out. Let's talk about that for a minute because something mm-hmm. is going on here. You're talking about um, being in nature and the more mm-hmm. we're in nature and the way we're in nature, will nature will begin to inform us of herself. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's no way we can have that conversation without bringing this idea of intelligence and to what extent, not just intelligence, wisdom of mm-hmm. uh the flora and fauna of this planet. Let's just talk about that for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, however you want to tackle it, because it's intriguing. And I'm, I'm a big nature person. I'm a big gardener. I, you know, I'm a tree hugger. <laughs> I, I do yeah. all that yeah. stuff. But I'm very fascinated with, the, to the extent, I have no question that nature is intelligent and wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the two are, well, they're not mutually exclusive, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But also the means by which we connect with that it's deeper than one thinks is it harder i mean do we have to go to the amazon to to be that embedded in nature and to start communion with nature let's just 
answer that any way you want. <laughs> I put a lot out there. So tackle whatever you want. Yeah. First off, I've heard of panpsychism a little bit. I've, I've never, I haven't like gotten too deep in it. Um, I tend to, I tend to, I'm an experiential type of person, right? I tend to, I tend to place value on experience over intellectualizing things, right? And so when I have a conversation like this, I, I kind of part of me wants to be like, just go to the jungle and see for yourself. It's hard to describe what we're talking about here, right? It's it's tempting for us in the you know in, in in North America or wherever we're at. Again, it's tempting for us to want to be able to like fit things into a box or try to explain things away to where they 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 approach some sort of sense of of recon scientific recognition. And you know, and I think that like that's something that we've talked about for years at Waking Times is the scientific materialism and how dangerous that is, how dangerous of a worldview that is. And I think you're seeing that right now. I mean, there's no doubt that like there's an absolute takeover of scientific materialism with the with the uh, measures that are being rolled out to combat the, the situation that we're all in, right? Um, so in a sense, in a sense, like you can talk about it all day, but when you first have that experience, however you go about having that experience, I know people that have had experiences like that just by walking through nature and just almost like a stroke of luck. Like they just happen to be in nature at the right moment at the right time. And, you know, I mean, even guys like David Icke have stories about that. I mean, David Icke tells a story of he was walking in the mountains or whatever one day and it just hit him. It just struck him like a lightning bolt, you know, a level of truth that he had never been able to access or never had access to. Right. And so I think that's that's really what it is. So perhaps there's some element of uh, when you're ready, the information will be available to you, you know. And so in, in terms of what we talked about a second ago, letting go, like the, the openness, that willingness to be ready, I think that's probably the key versus, you know, the, uh, versus needing to understand it or being able to explain it. The key is really like being ready to let go, to be open, open to, uh, you know, the possibility, open to bigger messages, you know, and so what that I've, I've seen many, many people talk about the experience of ayahuasca and refuse to do it, absolutely refuse to do it on the grounds that they're afraid of throwing up, you know, and I think that's a great metaphor for, for what it means to, to the, the type of mindset that we have that's holding on, that's clutching to, to a rational um, sort of like rational space that we have to you know, be protected in, if you will. And so I was even talking to someone today who said that she had, she had uh, tried ayahuasca once, but she didn't really let herself go there because she was afraid of the act of vomiting, right? She was afraid of throwing up. Now, keep in mind that people drink till they puke all the time. Alexis, it's, it's part of our culture, you know, like this. I mean, that's what we do. And, and so it's, it's difficult for people to, to understand what a spiritual proper spiritual purge is or a purge, you know, like the, like the value of that. It's, it's difficult for people to understand the value of that. But I don't think that you're really going to get to where the level that you're talking about without experiencing some sort of emotional or psychic or even physical purge of, of the insensitivities that we're exposed to all of the time. I mean, I think it goes really, really deep. I think media is a really, really big part of it. I mean, you know, I've heard before that we've seen by the time we're 20, whatever, I don't, I don't remember the exact numbers, but by the time we're 20 years old or whatever, we've supposedly seen 10,000 acts of dramatized violence, right? Mm -hmm. So you have like this, this, this mass desensitization of the, the psyche, of the human psyche, right? So it may just be that like, it's a lot easier than you think. It may just be that it's, it's really our natural state, if you will, right? But that we're so embedded in a culture and in a timeline here where it's, it's, it's we're not used to that at all. We're so far removed from our natural state, from our natural state of possibility and connection that it's it's hard to fathom. So that we we seek we seek these intellectual explanations. We seek these we seek a, 
understanding on intellectual terms versus experiential terms. But in, in just generally speaking, like it's, it's not something that you can describe with words. It has very much to do with the connection to a, a very uh, a, a, a sentience, like a plant sentience and intelligence. And so without question, once you enter these spaces, the plants have their own intelligence. They have their own sentience. And it's not just the big plants, like a blade of grass, a blade of grass has its own, has its own vibration, has its own consciousness to it. And you can sense this, you can really feel this. I know some people experience this through like the, 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 the um, uh, psychedelic plants like magic mushrooms, for example. You know, some people experience this through peyote or mescaline or, or these other substances. Um, but I think that, that ayahuasca definitely invites you into the space of where the spirit is able to communicate across the veil, the way, I, the way that I put it, across the veil. And the reason why I say across the veil is because if you go deep enough into the experience with ayahuasca, like your, your perception opens up beyond what is, and the same thing with the boga too, your perception opens up uh, beyond your, just your vision, right? Beyond just your five senses of, you know, touch, taste, feel, smell, see, right? And so you get to a place where you're, you're seeing things, but not with your eyes. You're feeling things, but not with your touch, right? You're hearing things, but not with your ears, right? So it's, it's, it's a totally different um, uh, connection to your senses, right? And so without actually having been there and done that, it's hard, it's hard to say. But in order to get to that point, you absolutely have to have a willingness to like detach yourself, to let go, to let yourself escape, to let yourself soar and fly. And the thing that happens, I've, I've worked with hundreds of people in these environments, you know, as a facilitator of these medicines. And the thing that always happens is that people, people show up with fear. People show up with fear, fear of whatever, fear of death, fear of life, fear of failure, fear of the new world order, fear of whatever it is. You know, people show up with fear. And the biggest fear that people have, I think, is the fear of, of not having control, the fear of not being in control. And, and, and these medicines absolutely, or these, these plant medicines absolutely uh, can bring you to a space where you don't have control. You're mm -hmm. not allowed to have control. And there's a deep, deep purpose to that. And I think that really is like one of the main spiritual benefits of it is to allow yourself to free fall into the cosmos and uh, mm -hmm. allow yourself to, to risk it all. I mean, you know, like these substances aren't known to be harmful or deadly, right? You know, people have died under, under there. People die scuba diving. People die doing, doing anything. But like the substances themselves don't kill people. Right, but they bring you to the they bring you to uh, a direct confrontation with your fear, especially the plant medicine aboga too. I mean, aboga will bring up everything that's sitting in your psyche, everything that's sitting in there, festering, rotting, every Im gruesome image you've seen on the internet. Every sure, it's every really almost like the repository of your subconscious coming to, to greet you. I would let, let me jump in for, for a minute because you're yeah. bringing up so many awesome <laughs> right 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 We're, he's writing his next book guys i got news for you unless it's already been written <laughs> but let's talk about that thing that uh personification in this journey of fear whatever it is that often will show up in the form of a creature a hideous monster you know graham hancock has talked about the the, the alligator looking creature alligator head person but whatever it is mm -hmm. that shows up for you is that what we're talking about here? That that invariably may be illusory, but something within your psyche and within the universal field knows how to create just that that mm -hmm. hideous monster that you, Dylan, need to confront, <laughs> or the, the individual that's going on that journey. Tell us about that and and how that figures into what we're talking about now. Well, I would say that certainly speaks to like 
a deep intelligence in the substances in the plant medicines, right? Um, and and I've, I've seen this take place with so many people. In my experience, though, Alexis, like ayahuasca doesn't scare the scare the snot out of people in that regard. It doesn't. It doesn't like bring them images face to face of their you know their their boogeyman or boogie monster. Ayahuasca scares people in the sense that it it pulls them out of their identity. You know, and I've heard this process called ego death, that sort of stuff. Um, I've been through this. It's very, very dramatic, very can be very traumatic. I've seen other people go through it, but it pulls you away from the things that you consider to be you. That's the scary part. That's what I mean, letting go. So it's not about a, a specific imagery or a specific, uh, you know, ghoul or anything like that. It's about... It literally is. It's. It feels to me. It literally has to do. It's more like a fear of uh, bungee jumping or something, right? You know, like you're. <laughs> yeah, it's, bungee jumping is not something I've ever done. It's not something I would ever want to do. It's probably not something I ever will do, right? Um, but that sense of like, okay, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to try to try to like. I'm not going to try to white knuckle anything anymore. And so, what that actually looks like, and you know, one of my personal experiences with this was that uh, I felt this sense that like there was a, a, a really like deep spiritual part of me that was perhaps at my core. Right. So this is like the, the true me, the real me, this being of light, this being of, of pure energy, but I had never seen that before. And so the, the, the plant medicine ayahuasca or yahe uh, created the experience for me. It wasn't looking at a ghoul or a monster. It was felt like a light, uh, you know, just like a, an energy being pulled out of an identity. And what do I mean by that? I mean, Look at me. You're calling me Dylan Charles or Charles Charles Dylan or whatever you call me. That's just those are some syllables. Those are some sound waves that somebody gave me, right? Another human being gave me when I was born, right? I don't. It could be anything. My name could be anything else, right? Uh, my identity was also my profession, the job that I had back at the time, the career that I was involved in. Uh, my identity also had become uh, my relationship with my wife. We've been married for a really long time, and we got a beautiful family together. So also the relationship with my kids. So. People don't understand that like our attachment to things, our attachment to life, our attachment to relationships, our attachment to, to, to you know, these um, uh, colorful buttons that we put on our ego that say, oh, I'm, I'm this or I have this. I've got a nice house. I've got this. Like those are all attachments. Those are all things that your soul is, is shielded itself with that's holding on to. And so the fear in these types of situations comes with letting all that go and being absolutely defenseless and not knowing what comes next not knowing what comes next. So it's more of a fear of the unknown. It's more of the fear of, of, of free fall than it is like a monster. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you so much for that. I want to go back to the experiential. You made such a good point and I could not agree more Dylan in terms of, you know, and, and each of us has a measure of this, this, I always say the left brain's got to take its freaking foot mm -hmm. off the gas pedal and let the right brain take its proper place of prominence because the left brain wants to work it out. We all do. I'm guilty of that too. And yet I am such an advocate of the experiential over any other uh, measure of, of mm -hmm. validity to something. Um, so I, I just wanted to make that comment. I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, you know, right, there, won't, right. there won't be any need to believe in the validity of such things. If you experience, you can bypass the belief altogether, which you, you have license to do. I also wanted to uh, just comment on this inability to to describe exactly what the experience is similar to what we call peak experiences of which mm -hmm. I've had transformational kundalini whatever mm -hmm. words sound syllables we put on these these labels 
these experiences, how many times have people come back from those journeys, me included, saying, other than giving you a chronology <laughs> of what I recall happening, I can't put it in words. Very similar. No. Can an ayahuasca trip be simulated, you think, without That's... doing ayahuasca? I hear that. I hear that. I hear that so often. To, you know. Do you? Yeah, I hear that from from people who are like, you know, dedicated to particular spiritual paths. Um, you know, like I've got some Buddhist friends, for example. Uh, I've got some friends that are in like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and places like that, where they, you know, they they achieve spiritual awakenings, um, but on on top of the built on the pride of not having to be dependent on any substances to achieve those experiences and. I've had so many people tell me that they can get to where ayahuasca takes them without taking ayahuasca. And I'm saying, no, I'm just going to say you disagree with that. I'm saying I absolutely disagree with that. I mean, there are definitely places you can up and open up within your own consciousness. There are places you can go and explore, but ayahuasca is unique. Iboga is unique because you're invited into the spiritual space of something else. Right. And you're not going to get invited to that space without, you know, the proper invitation and the invitation is, you know, is, proper ceremony it's it's a reverence towards the medicine it's an understanding of how to prepare the brew it's an understanding of how to act and and how to um, carry out a, a proper ceremony it's the understanding of you know what to do during the ceremony you know these are the things that bring you into that that playing field of this other spirit so we can meditate all the you know i've got people who I have friends that have been you know doing tm transcendental meditation for 34 years and i know they go to some deep places and i know that they have uh, uh, you know their own mind maps their own uh, their own doors and vaults and you know layers that they can explore within their own consciousness the the, the possibilities are infinite of course um, but it's not the same space as you would enter with the boga or ayahuasca i mean there's just there's zero doubt once you do it that you're you're very much mm -hmm. in 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 contact with a, another type of spirit. You know, it's not just you exploring you and your relationship to the universe. It's it's you being invited into something. So, I don't think you can recreate that. You don't think? Okay. No, and and you know, and like people are people are fond of doing DMT. You know, you I think you mentioned DMT once, but. Well, you know, that's the primary ingredient. Is it? Is it not the primary ingredient in uh, dimethyltryptamine in this brew? Well, or, they, or the they say that it's the it's the primary psychoactive ingredient. Okay, mm -hmm. but just like anything else, you can take anything out of out of its context, and it it is a an out of its context. It may be what it is, but it's it doesn't represent the full color, the full spectrum, right? So, if you look at ayahuasca itself like the 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 brew of ayahuasca requires two plants right so one of the plants is benisteriopsis copy there's a number of varieties of that's the ayahuasca vine there's a number of, of ayahuasca different types of ayahuasca vines that are you know you can tell them apart by their uh the the the, the shape of the vine you can tell them apart by by some of the leaves but mostly by the flowers the colors of the flowers um that's ayahuasca. They call the medicine ayahuasca. But if you were to drink ayahuasca by itself without the admixture in plant, you wouldn't have the same effects as you have when people drink ayahuasca because the actual brew ayahuasca is, contains at least two plants, like I said. So the other the other plant is going to be a DMT-containing plant. So the, the Benisteriopsis copy doesn't have any DMT in it. So when you mix in it, it's a Psychotria vidrias, uh, it's a Chakruna or Chalipanga. There's a couple different plants that are, that are popularly used. But you can use any any plant really that has – a DMT in it. So it'd be like a cassia bark. There's a, a whole bunch of plants in the, in the, um, 
garden sphere, if you will, that, that contain, contain DMT. But the, the two primary ones, when you mix it with ayahuasca, it creates the full effect. So while the DMT bring, may bring you like the, the powerful, like colorful arrays, uh, the visionary like rainbows, the, the intricate patterns, the fractal patterns, the geometric patterns that you'll see on a lot of like, you know, visionary artwork, visionary clothes and sort of mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Like a lot of that is, is to be found in just the DMT. So if you were to isolate the DMT and a lot of people smoke DMT, there's a couple of different kinds of DMT that you can smoke. But when you do that, uh, the experience doesn't last hours and hours. When I, when you drink ayahuasca, the experience lasts hours and hours. I mean, we drink all night. So, you know, from eight or nine o'clock at night till, you know, four five, six, seven o'clock sometimes wow. in the morning. Right. So there's a lot more going on than just that blast of colors and, and fractal patterns and stuff. So when you smoke DMT, the experience lasts anywhere from five to 15 minutes. It's a very short experience. And I've done DMT once. And it, to me, it, it feels like taking one part of the experience of ayahuasca and just isolating that and like you know trying to get what you can out of that so my point is is that like like dmt may be the primary psychoactive ingredient but it's not the only spiritual ingredient these aren't things that you can actually measure so like the experience the spiritual experience that you'll get through drinking ayahuasca is a is a um, it's an amalgamation of everything that's in the plants and i don't just mean like what's chemically in the plant itself i also mean like what's in the plants spiritually like like what's how the plant you know where the plant is from how the plant's been cared for if the plant belongs to somebody so like for example at my teacher's place in costa rica you know he has a, a, a proper amazing ayahuasca garden right so we could tell you we can walk to the garden and be like these these particular plants right here were given to were given to him by uh, you know Don Cesario the elder of the sequoia or these were given to him by Don Basilio or these 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 this particular plants he got from Don Casimiro and of another you know the Quichua or whatever a different tribe and so when you when you have the time to explore like this and this is one of the reasons why I've done so much plant medicines because it's a fascinating just study of of life itself but mm-hmm. when you have the time to explore like this you'll recognize you'll you'll you'll, un- you'll understand there's there's subtleties that there's magnificent subtleties is maybe a cool way to put it like there's there's subtle differences that are mag- magnificently like the, the difference between one experience and the other can be vast right but on a subtle level you know so when we cook ayahuasca, when we cook the brew down at my friend's place, um, we'll we'll pay attention to how things are feeling. We'll pay attention to the to the moon cycles. We'll pay attention to the vibe of the retreat, like who who's there, like what do they really need, and we'll choose the plants accordingly. And so, like we may we may choose um, you know a very short stumpy vine or like an old 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 rich vine. You know, we, depending mm-hmm. on what we feel like the experience needs, because with within the plants themselves above and beyond the chemical stuff is a presence right it's a, it's its own like sentience like we talked about Absolutely. and so i think that's that's hard for people to understand especially when when people's experience of experiences of this this plant medicine are limited to what they've had in the united states because here in the states it doesn't really grow natively uh, it's it's any of the brew that i've seen come through the states is always manufactured somewhere else you know usually south america or hawaii or someplace and shipped over so it's it's not only a matter of the plants it's it's a matter of who cared for the plants who cared for the, the interaction like the, the, yeah right. the whole procedure the whole protocol the whole procedure of how the how that med- how the plant medicine got from the pot to someone's ceremony you know mm-hmm. that makes a difference that makes it sense makes a, that makes i that makes right. listen that makes perfect sense to me and i have a feeling right. it'll make sense to a lot who are listening i mean look what we're talking about is i'm listening to you talk about this 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 is where the term sacred comes mm-hmm. from understanding we as active participants in 
whether it's the procurement of the plant, the repositioning of the plant, the love that we give to the plant, there is a symbiosis, I believe, that must be existing that will largely affect the effect, largely Mm -hmm. affect the outcome of the person that's having this journey. Again, you know, particularly here in the Western world, and I've got to use this quote by one of my favorite physicists, Dana Zohar, who said, we are spiritually dumb here in the West, primarily, meaning that we don't, there's an arrogance. I'm not talking about y'all. I'm talking about just generally speaking, (laughs) there tends to be an arrogance coupled with an ignorance, which is a dangerous thing as to the power of these plants. And moreover, that they're not your slave. There's a Mm -hmm. reverence that must be invoked. And I, I get that totally, man. D- d- say no more. That is like the difference yeah. <laughs> between success and utter failure and maybe worse. Let me ask you this as mm-hmm. we're winding down. I can't believe it. We're going to be going to the Patreon after show, guys. You know Ooh. where we're going next. We're going to continue this, but we're not done yet here. Um, you know, as I was pondering this, prepping for our interview this morning, uh, Dylan, I was thinking about the impetus for people wanting to take this medicine. I mean, mm-hmm. we know people, whether they're doing ceremony, or working with a Ouija board, as an example, or doing some sort of seance or some other right. sort of metaphysical thing, because they want to just see what happens. <laughs> and we also know stories <laughs> of people that have had major consequences because of that impetus and nothing more. Would you say that that would be on par with, could there be consequences? Let's say somebody says, I just want to use it recreationally. I just want to see what's going to happen. Might there be a consequence in that lack of respect yeah. in approaching this journey like that? And have you, do you know any examples of that? Oh, there's so many examples. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty intense, but I think what you're, what you're saying speaks to what I'd said uh, earlier on about being a seeker and not understanding what you're seeking or why you're seeking it. Right. You know, so whether it's a Ouija board or LSD or just some kind of transcendent experience to get away, just to, to most people can tell Alexis that there's more to this world and what, what this society, this culture is allowing us to, to see and experience. And so a lot of people inherently, they have that drive uh, towards uh, like that expansion into transcendence. Yeah, there's actually like, there's been some interesting articles we've published over the years of Waking Times. One of them was, gosh, if I could think back, it's been a long time, six or seven years, but it was uh, what a shaman sees in a mental hospital, right? You know, and this speaks to like even my elders in the, the African tradition of, of the Buiti. Uh, they talk about this, like when they first came over and started uh, serving medicine to the Westerners, they had never seen things like depression or anxiety or, you know, any of these, any of these so-called mental disorders. Like to them, it was all foreign, like that stuff didn't exist in their cultures, right? It was something that came, it's something that came from, it was a byproduct of the way that we live, right? And so what a shaman sees in a mental hospital, he basically, he, it was by a, by a shaman, African shaman, named Maladi Somme, I think. And he, he talks about how the, the, the ones in the mental hospital, they're supposed to be the healers. They're supposed to be the shamans in society. They're supposed to be a place for those people in society. And we don't have a place for people who don't, conform and fit right into the narrow band you know we have the the dsm-5 the psychiatric manual that you know outlays all the 300 something mental disorders or whatever it is they've got now um and if you don't fit into that you're labeled as you know you're labeled as uh, divergent or, or whatever it is right you're and so you're you're basically put in a situation to where your your abilities your your potential your spiritual potential is labeled a bad thing and negative and you're tried to be cured from that so this is almost like the witch hunt <laughs> right the salem Salem witch trials. So, mm-hmm. 
in you know th- thinking about it in those terms you know like when people when people are seeking stuff for joyriding i mean that's that's kind of how our culture works there's no depth there's there's a lack of depth to why we do things you know and so what are the consequences i mean very there's very real world consequences i mean i've seen in situations where people actually have like psychotic splits you know mm-hmm. like e- extra personalities will come to the forefront for a while i've seen people have uh, psychotic episodes where I've, I've even seen people um, go through what I would only, what I could only describe as like a, a demonic possession uh, or, or mm. like a, a a process of exorcism. Right. So I, I can't tell you if that's, those things are good or bad. Like for me personally to see that stuff come to the surface, I feel like it's a good positive thing because it was always lying dormant somewhere. Part of the purge. That would be another side of the purge. Would it, would it not? Right, right, right. Yeah. And I've, I've seen that a few times and it can be, it can be quite terrifying to be honest with you. Cause you don't, it's so far out of our purview of what's normal, what's acceptable. Right. But I think just in general, like there's a, there is certainly, um, there's certainly a tendency for people here to um, look at substances as just like good time substances to get away from things. So I know that there's plenty of people who abuse ayahuasca and abuse iboga and, and uh, you know, the, the sadly, the biggest thing that they're missing is they're missing the opportunity to connect with the real serious, the real, really important message, the real important potential of the plant medicines, which is to really, you had asked me something earlier about like what people see, you know, what people see in these things. Well, we've all heard stories of like shape, people shape shifting into jaguars or jungle cats or people shape shifting into bats or, you know, wild javelina or wild boar, whatever it is. Like we've heard those stories of shape shifting. Well, I know for a fact that that's actually true. Like people can achieve those things. And the, the, this, the plant medicine ayahuasca can take people there. can take people into the space where that's possible, but that doesn't represent the highest potential for what it has to offer us. And I think that's what the, the real danger is, is that people, when, when it's abused, when it's used recreationally like this, they miss out on, on the, the potential to really understand what, what the, the, the plants are telling us. And what the mm-hmm. plants are really telling us, I feel is that there is, there is, a spiritual purity to to a potential spiritual purity, a potential like cosmic purity to being human that we've been given, and it's and through our work and dedication to service, and through our dedication to uh, purity and clarity and stuff, we can achieve, we can ascend, right? That's why they call them, you know, like the Taoists call them ascended masters, people that that elevated, the people that rose up above in consciousness above everyone else. So if you look at how consciousness is structured, you know, many, many people, I would say the vast majority of people, probably 80, 85% of people exist in very lower levels of consciousness, right? You know, fear, apathy, uh, greed, um, um, desire, right? They, they, they exist in these very low levels of consciousness, and, you know, the, the, the smaller minority of people, you know, that probably exist in states like courage and willingness and acceptance, you know, and resolve and those sorts of things. Like those are expansive states of consciousness. But above that, you know, those, uh, those Buddha-like states, those Jesus states, you know, the Gandhi states, right? The, the pure love, the joy, the ecstasy, those, those states of consciousness. Like if you, if you do the medicine properly if you if you do it with the proper people and the proper ceremonies and in the ceremonial setting and you have the proper proto- protocol and you're respecting 
the nuances of the plant itself, like the things that the plant wants. I mean, I mean, there's 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 nuances to it. The plants don't like to be touched certain ways. They don't like to be moved certain ways. They don't like to walk along certain routes where dogs have been, for example. I mean, there's there's a whole world of nuance to it. Sure. And so if you're if you're able to actually approach it in that way, it's possible for you to see what's above all of the shape shifting, all of the ego. It's possible for you to see what's above just all of the chaos and confusion in our society. And, and to me, that's the real gift is like getting a glimpse of that level of pure consciousness. If you've ever achieved that uh, you know, through the medicine or through any other state, really like to, to have touched that, you know, it's like reaching the, the mountaintop of enlightenment. You can't stay there. Nobody can stay there, Alexis, but to know that it's there brings a certain like peace and, and uh, uh, just a certain calm to one's life I've seen. And I've experienced this myself. Like it's easier to face the challenges of the day when your perspective is as large as that, you know, it's easier to, it's easier to treat people with kindness. It's easier to, to see people as similar rather than different. It's easier to see across these lines of division and stuff. When, when you realize that above all of us, there's, you know, what's operating above all of this is a level of consciousness uh, that is always there. It's always there. Right. Absolutely. And just most people just don't know that it's there. And I think that's, that's the main thing that people are seeking, right? That's the thing that I was seeking. And I thought, I thought if I took some acid or if I ate some ecstasy or something when I was young that I would get there and you kind of can touch on it sometimes, you know, you can kind of, kind of get a glimpse, a tiny little glimpse, but, but to have the true honor, the true honor of really like conducting a proper ayahuasca ceremony with proper traditional elders uh, and especially like with the boga as well and, and, and being able to see the view from the top. That's what people are missing. And, and you're not going to get that. Like it's very rare that people get that in the kind of like traveling shaman ceremonies we have in the United States and the kind of uh, the way that I've seen ceremonies conducted. I mean, even in the town that I'm in, I've been invited to many, many ceremonies. I've never, never, never had the, the need to, to participate in any ceremonies in the United States because my cup is full, if you will. Uh, but I see how I see how people go into it and they come back and they're looking for the next ceremony. They're looking for the next ceremony. To me, that's a right. red flag. Something's off. You know. Okay. Quite interesting. Two words come to mind. Then we're going to wind down and go next door. The first and foremost, and the journeyers have heard me say this before, is humility. Mm -hmm. Humility. I think that if you approach this, and frankly, any other very sacred experience with humility, universal humility. I'll, I'll tell you what I, my journeyers have heard me say. If you dare explore the true nature of reality, humility is a universal mandate, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. period. <laughs> yeah. If we start with that, I don't think you can go wrong. And of course, reverence, respect. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate how you have really <laughs> right. driven that message home today. I really appreciate that. Yeah, humility is a uh, it's it's incredibly important, but it's also something that people have to learn for themselves. I mean, agreed. It, you know, like I can't tell you how many journeys I've gone in and and just been you know smacked down by the spirit of the plant medicine, just beat to a pulp, and come to you the next morning and been like, oh my god, what just happened to me? You know, so like those are like the, you don't just have humility that you can turn on and turn off. You know, there it's like dormant. No, if I you think will, it's got to be a foundational. But, yeah, right? it's so got to be foundational. It's a through experience. No right? You yeah, have to have a felt. reason to be humble, you know? So, Agreed. All right, man, listen, we're going to wind this down. We're going to go to Patreon. We're going to – a couple things came to mind. Oh, my God, lots of things came to mind. But I really well, – Can I just say something real like, super quick? 
Well, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, yeah, if you're switching over, I'm not sure if you're forming here, but if you're switching over to Patreon, anybody that's here listening, like uh, I, I, I relay a lot of this work in the in the coaching that I do with self sabotage and self mastery coaching. Check that out at dylancharlescoaching.com. I've got an event coming up on the 26th of January. It's we're about uh, it's called Crack the Code of Self Sabotage, and I just it's like it brings together all of the stuff that we're talking about in a way that'll help you to like you know develop yeah. these uh, develop a, like a deeper connection with yourself. So I wasn't gonna. I had to plug that. I had to just drop that in, Alexis. <laughs> you didn't, you, come on, you didn't follow my lead. I was gonna let you do that next, but he got it in anyway. We will have links, obviously, to WakingTimes.com. There's such great stuff every single day. This is like a, a daily dose of truth. Dylan Charles style, including mm -hmm. this event that I know is coming up on the, is it the 12th of January? I'm going to do it on the 26th of January. Yeah. On the 26th. Okay. I think 26, it was, yeah. was the 12th originally. It was yeah, the 12th. We'll I pushed it back a few weeks. Yeah. Okay. To get, get the opportunity to sign up. Absolutely. I know it's going to be all that. Yeah, I, I actually so. took a, I took a week off for the holidays. Alexis, my wife totally convinced me to take some time off and I was like, no, honey, we got to barrel through. This is America. Content like, creators aren't allowed to do that. You know, like, I'm kidding. Take a week off. So. I took a week off and so I'm adjusting for that. But yeah. that's a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. Okay. So he got his plug in. He he just jumped over me like Boom. interviewers typically do, but that's okay. Uh is there anything else you would like to add? What about are you active on are there social media outlets? Yeah, I'm 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 on Facebook, Waking Times on Facebook. I'm Dylan Charles Hunt on Facebook. You can come connect with me personally i'd be happy to meet with you i, I talk to people all over the world all the time uh, as a, as a self-mastery and self-sabotage coach but i'm also on tele telegram dylan charles wins on telegram but uh, to be honest with you my relationship i think i'm, I'm really reevaluating my relationship with social media right now so i'm not sure where i stand on all those platforms because i've been publishing awakening times for over 10 years now and it's like like what you just said it's like you're constantly shoveling coal into the steam engine and it's that's not fulfilling for me anymore. So I'm probably going to pare things down a little bit and just try to really like find the people who uh, are really worth connecting with, if that makes sense, versus trying absolutely. to connect with the whole freaking and let them world. Find you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, I went with you. Yeah. I'm definitely with you. I think a lot of people are sort of reevaluating whether you're a content creator, you're a blogger, whatever, or just an individual active, hyperactive on this uh, thing we call social media. That's a whole yeah. other conversation. But yeah, w we know we can find Dylan at wakingtimes.com. I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> you're the man, dude. My new buddy. And in, in, uh, can I say where you're from? Can I say where you are? No, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm in Western North Carolina, the, the Blue Ridge Mountains, Asheville. It. It's amazing here. It just snowed for the first time this year. This you're in the Asheville? First time this season. Yeah. Did I? Did we have that? Okay. We'll talk about we that did. offline. Okay. We did. All right, journeyers. Listen, yeah. we thank you so much, Dylan. Thank you, Charles. Mm -hmm. Char I didn't call you Charles. I did Mr. Good. Charles. I'll say. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Charles. That sounds Mr. so important. Charles. <laughs> I, I just need, I need, I need going, to be a man. banker. <laughs> you are necessary. And as are you, journeyers. Happy New Year for show of the new year. And boy, have we gotten it off to a powerful start. Let's go over and talk more about uh, some other plant medicines and things we can do on this incredible journey with Gaia. Okay? Gaia. Right. Signing off for now. See you next door. Take care, journeyers. <laughs>